The message you are listening to was recorded by Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota, at the 2018 Established Summer Training Project. More information about Campus Outreach Minneapolis can be found at cominneapolis.org. What we're doing today is personal worship training. So, let me give you a little bit of framework of what personal worship training is. Christianity is about a person, not an idea. It's not about an ethic that you live by, but it's about a person. God is a person who we interact with. He created the world, and he created the world to glorify him. And the way in which we glorify him is by relating to him, how we relate to him. So it's not just a, an ethic of you know, rules that, w- that we follow. It's, it's a person that we're relating with. Because of that, um, God has given us several means for us to interact with him. And that's what personal worship training is about, helping you learn what those means are. So things like the Bible and prayer and um, community. Though we're, um, community is going to be talked about a little bit more in a different packet. We're going to talk about how your personal time with the Lord will affect other people. So um, that's where we're going. We have one big goal, and that goal is, let's see. Man, this would be so cool if my phone was working. Okay, hold on. Okay. All right. There we are. Goal for personal worship training. Uh, It is that you would um, treasure the means God has given us to relate to him. In our generation, it's really hard to treasure anything because you're inundated with so much information. You just get the next fix. But I'm going to explain this more today, but the means that God has given us are really, really great things and very life-giving. So that is our goal, that by the end of the summer, you would say, I love the Bible. I love it, and I love prayer. I love the ways in which I can interact with God because they, they draw me to him and help me experience him. So that is the goal. The way that we're going to do that this summer is by two ways. The first half of the summer, we're going to talk about personal disciplines and habits, like reading your Bible, praying, memorizing scripture, and then we're going to talk about what do you do when you don't feel like doing those types of things. Emma's going to talk about that. Um, And then the second half of the summer is going to be how does your personal worship affect other people. So that's where we're going. Just one more thought before I get in today. In all of the different packets we have, it's easy to, as a student coming in, think that this is the authoritative word on whatever packet we're talking about. But I just want to say, what I'm going to say to you is not exhaustive. It's not, you know, the end-all, be-all. I'm sharing with you something that's been impactful for me, but there's so much more here than what I'm going to share with you. So if you think of, like, an airplane going around the landscape, and the airplane's going to take pictures of the landscape, as it goes around, it's going to be taking a picture from different points of view, right? Different perspectives. And that's what we're doing. When we share things with you guys, we're just giving you... this perspective right here, but someone else may give you this perspective right here. And they, should, they, don't con- they shouldn't contradict with one another, but just know that I'm not, what I'm saying today is not exhaustive. Um, there's a lot more than, than what I'm going to share with you. So with that, here's where we're going. We are going to talk about the Bible. You want to flip to the next page? That's all right. Um, 
Okay, so this is the verse we're going to talk about today. So if you guys have your Bibles, you can open to Colossians 3.16. And we're going to really dive into this. So Colossians 3.16 is what we're going to look at, and we're going to go three different places with it. One is um, we're going to say, why do we need it? Or um, why do Christians need the Bible to be true? The second thing we're going to do is say, what does it mean for, for it to dwell in us richly? So I'm going to really expound that verse. And then the third thing is, why should we want it to dwell in us richly? Why should we even want the Bible to be a thing that we highly value? So, first. Uh, next slide. All right, so why do Christians need the Bible to be true? God wrote a book. If God really wrote that book, just think about this. If God wrote this book right here, that is significant. God didn't just do this on his free time, you know, when he was like, well, I just have this idea for this random thing. This is what God has chosen to communicate to us. So if God wrote a book, then it's really, really important. Um, if you go, uh, go to the next slide. So Piper has this quote. It's, he says, it is a stupendous claim that any book written by human hands is the infallible word of God. So that's, regardless of whether it's Christianity or it, the Quran, um, regardless, it's a stupendous claim that any book written by human hands is the infallible word of God. If the claim is true, and if the book claims to teach the only path to eternal life, then that book is more important than any other book. It has more to offer us than any other book. And what it offers us is of infinite importance. So, go to the next slide. So, when you think about why do Christians need to be true, need this to be true, it's because um, God wrote a book. Go to the next slide. So, if God wrote a book, um, then it's of infinite importance. It's very, very important. If God did not write a book, then our Christianity is based on nothing. You really have to understand that point. If the Bible is not true, then everything we're basing ourselves off of is based on nothing. It's not important. You shouldn't listen to it. You should move on to something else. So it's really, really important that this book is true. Really, really important that this book is true. As we go through this summer, every single talk that you hear is going to be based on the Bible. So we want it to, we want it to be true. All right, that was uh, the first point, a really easy point. Second thing is, what does it mean for it to dwell in us richly? So there's a guy who used to be on staff with me at the University of Minnesota. His name's Mike Pauley. And Mike transitioned from being on the campus, and he actually started working in our office. And you guys who are seniors will probably interact with him at some point because he helps people transition from college to after and getting you plugged into the church and whatnot. I remember when Mike was leaving, he addressed all of our students one last time at the U of M, and this stuck out to me so much. He could have said anything to us, but what he did was he held up his Bible, and his lip was quivering, and he had tears in his eyes, and he said, you can stake your life on this book. And I think he's right. You can stake your life on the Bible. So, 
when it says, when Paul says in Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, what I mean, what I take that to mean is, let the word of Christ dwell in you in a, I'm staking my life on this sort of way. Okay, so I'm dwe- it's dwelling in me richly, so I'm staking my life on it. All right, so then there's practical. So what do you, what do you got going on there? <laughs> this, is, this is difficult. Um, okay, so there's a couple practicals. The first one is practically um, what it means for us to stake our life on this book is that we submit to it. So here's what I mean by that. There are things in the Bible that will be difficult for you that you don't want to believe are true. But if what we're saying is that our entire Christianity is based off of this book, then it's of infinite importance that you submit to the Bible. So what that would mean is that you have to look at the book and say, I'm going to trust that this has um, more important things to say than I do myself. I'm trusting that this is true. I'm not trusting that that what's in here is true. What the Bible would say is, that our hearts are deceitful and desperately sick. Jeremiah 17, 9 says that the heart is deceitful and desperately sick. So what we're saying is we're going to say this Bible that God wrote, God revealed to us, we're saying that we're going to trust that this is true. So that, that, that's the first thing. We need to submit to it. The second thing, practically, is that you need to steep in it. You think of a tea bag, you know, it just steeps in it constantly. That's what we need with the Bible. So that means that you should constantly be reading it. You should know the Bible really, really well. I... Uh, my barber is uh, a guy who's not a Christian. He grew up in a Christian home, and he would say that he studied the Bible intensively for three years. And uh, it, what he would say is he spent hours upon hours every day studying the Bible for three years, and then he walked away from Christianity because of what he saw. And he said, if you think that you can find eternal life in a book, you should spend hours in it every day. And I don't know if he's wrong. Now, obviously, you... you I mean, we we've all have obligations and whatnot, but you should be wanting to constantly return to the Bible because you trust in it. It's your life source. It's the thing that you're staking your life on. All of your life decisions, the wisdom that you have, is coming from the Bible. If you're a Christian, that's, that's what we're saying. The Bible is that important. So um, when you think about practically what does it look like for the word of Christ to dwell in me richly, it means that I'm going to be steeping in it. I'm going to constantly be looking at it. Uh, Tim Keller is a pastor. He's written some really, really good books. He really loves C.S. Lewis. You guys, you guys all know who C.S. Lewis is. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. He also wrote a lot of Christian books. And Tim Keller would say that he's read C.S. Lewis so much and so often that if somebody asked Tim Keller what C.S. Lewis' opinion would be on things that C.S. Lewis never wrote about, Tim Keller thinks he could tell him what his opinion was on that thing. Because he's read him so much, he thinks he really understands the mind of C.S. Lewis. And that's that's what we want with the Bible. When we read the Bible, we want to know it so well. We want to know the mind of God. We want to understand him. And this is the primary means God has given us to know him and relate with him. And so we should want to know the Bible um, because of that. So um, that's what it means for it to dwell in us richly. Now, the third point, and the point that I'm going to hang out with for the rest of the time, is why should we want it to dwell in us richly? So if you want to move to the... No, no. Great. So the reason that we want it to dwell in us richly, the third point, is because in it we see the glory of God. You see that? See how it's flashing? 
If you don't get anything else from this talk, take that away. The reason that we should want the Bible to dwell in us richly is because in it we see the glory of God. Now, uh, Piper has a, a really, really good quote on this in um, his book, A Peculiar Glory. I've already quoted him from that book. But he says this. Um, this is an analogy that he uses, and uh, we're going to work through this. So he says, I have stood in front of this window, the Bible, all these years, not to protect it from being broken or because the owner of the chalet told me to, but because of the glory of the Alps on the other side. I am a captive of the glory of God revealed in the Scripture. So stay there for a second. So what he's saying, he's using an analogy of him standing in a chalet in the Swiss Alps, and out a window, he sees the Swiss Alps, and they're absolutely gorgeous. And he's saying he's looking through that window, not because the owner of the chalet said, hey, this is the best view, or because he's scared the window's going to be broken, meaning the Bible isn't really what it says it is, and so he, his whole life's been built around it, so he's got to really make sure that no one attacks it. No, he's saying that the Bible has been a window for him to see the glory of God, and he's captivated by that view. Yeah, any of you guys watch uh, Parks and Rec? Uh, so, I, I don't know if you guys remember this episode, but um, the end of the world, the, that whole crew that goes to the park, during that episode, April and Andy go on a big list of doing this bucket list for, for Andy. <laughs> and the things on his list are ridiculous. He's a, he's a child. But one of the things was to go see the Grand Canyon. So they get into a car at the end of this ep episode. They get into a car, and they drive all the way to the Grand Canyon. And if you guys know April's personality, she is incredibly snarky and has something to say about every, everything. And they get to the Grand Canyon, and they step out of their car, and they walk out. And the view, even on the, even on the show when you watch it, is absolutely stunning. It's beautiful. And April stands there, and they're like, whoa. And April says, I'm trying to find something snarky to say about this, and I'm coming up short. I can't, I can't. Even our generation, who is so cynical, sarcastic, when you see the glory of God for what it really is, you will be in total awe. And what I'm saying is the way that you primarily see the glory of God is through the Bible. This book, right here, this is the way that God chose to reveal himself to us, in a book that you can hold in your hand. That is a phenomenal thing. So we're going to work through this, uh, this, this analogy, um, and we're going to go through three things. You can go to the next slide. So first, we're going to talk about us, then we're going to talk about the Swiss Alps, and then we're going to talk about the window. So us, the Swiss Alps, the Swiss Alps is the glory of God, and the window is the Bible through which you look through. So if you want to understand, so we'll, we'll talk about us first. So you can go to the next slide. So if you want to understand uh, the Swiss Alps, if you want to appreciate its glory, then you have to understand its magnitude in contrast to your minuteness. You're not going to appreciate the grand majesty of the Swiss Alps if you think you're as large as the Swiss Alps, if you struggle with depth perception, which would be a really terrible thing. But um, you, if you want to understand the glory um, of the Swiss Alps, you really have to understand who you are. So here's what is true. No, go back, go back. Here's what's true about us. We like being in control, and we don't like hard things. Therefore, we distract ourselves all the time from life's problems. And I think the primary way that our generation distracts ourselves is through our phones and through our computers, through social media. So one comedian put it like this. 
what the phones are taking away is the ability to just sit there. That's being a person, just sitting there. Because underneath everything in your life, there's that thing, that empty, forever empty feeling, that knowledge that it's all for nothing and you're alone. It's down there. That's, uh, it's really, really sad that he feels this way. Um, and sometimes when things clear away, you're not watching anything, you're in your car all alone, and you start going, oh no, here it comes, that I'm alone. It starts to visit on you, just this sadness. Life is tremendously sad just by being in it. That's why we text and drive. I look around, pretty much 100% of the people driving are texting, and they're killing, everybody's murdering each other with their cars, but people are willing to risk taking a life and ruining their own because they don't want to be alone for a second because it's so hard. Do you guys feel that? I, I've read two books uh, this year on phones and the things that they do to us, and I have become so aware when I feel embarrassed or wonder if somebody's upset with me, it's so easy just for me to do this. It's like I don't even think about it, and all of a sudden I'm looking at ESPN. I'm like, how did that happen? It's just an addiction like that. I could be in a car, and I, and, and I, I do the exact same thing. My, my wife and I were driving to New Year's conference in Milwaukee this last year, and the staff were texting back and forth, and I really wanted to see the text. So I'm driving down the road. It's snowing outside. My car is slipping, and I just pull out my phone. She, and she was like, what are you doing? <laughs> are you kidding me? Like, that's, that's my addiction. And the reason it's my addiction is because I don't want to be alone. I don't want to experience hard things. It's so easy to, to look at my phone. And the really difficult thing is... Uh, by looking at your phone constantly, what you're training your mind to believe is that your greatest joy is found in your phone. That's, that's scientific, that's research. Um, you know, neurons that fire together wire together. And if your neurons are constantly firing at your phone, they're gonna be wired to believe that your phone is the thing that's going to bring you the most joy and happiness. And the reality is, is that it isn't. It's instant gratification. What is an NFL article about the Vikings grabbing Kirk Cousins? You know, it's like, but I feel like I, I gotta know every little detail about Kirk Cousins and how he's enjoying Minnesota. Um, and it's different across the board. It may be Instagram. You may feel like you've created a world that uh, you're projecting so that people will en uh, enjoy you more, appreciate you more. Or it may be that you look at other people. You just scroll constantly thinking, man, it'd be great if I had this. Or it'd be great if my life looked like this. Or maybe I could save enough money to get this outfit. Um, at some point, because that's the thing that's going to satisfy me. The problem, though, is that by us trying to numb the negative emotion that we feel, we're actually numbing all emotion. That's scientific as well. So Brene Brown, does anybody know who Brene Brown is? She gave a TED Talk on vulnerability, and I thought this was phenomenal. So she says, we numb emotion. We numb emotion. The problem is, you cannot selectively numb, numb emotion. You got it up there? Yeah, you can't say, here's the bad stuff. Here's vulnerability, here's grief, here's shame, here's fear, here's disappointment. I don't want to feel these. So when we numb those, we numb joy. We numb gratitude. We numb happiness. So every time you pick up your phone and you look at it because you're trying to numb that feeling that you feel, that you feel empty inside or you feel hurt because of something, you're actually numbing your ability to enjoy life to the fullest. And then we're miserable, and we're looking for purpose and meaning, and we feel vulnerable. So we have a couple beers and a banana mu nut muffin. 
whatever that is for you, whatever your couple of beers and a banana muffin is, we all do this. Allowing the word of Christ to dwell in you richly does not mean that your life is always going to be good. It doesn't mean that by reading this book, God's going to prosper you and give you a lot of money and make your life easy. But it gives you the ability to look at the world around you and take it for what it is, both the sorrows and the joys. A guy named Mike Cosper wrote a book called Recapturing the Wonder. He's talking about the wonder in reading the Bible and, and prayer. And he says this, Encounters with beauty whether they're in art, in an art gallery, a book, a song, or in the wild, command our attention. They invite us to put away our distractions and our busy thoughts to be present. That's being a person, just being present. We often find it difficult to make room for these things, and I think that in part it's because they're demanding. We cannot help but be evoked, whether that's towards bliss, sadness, or even rage. So when you see beauty, when you see the world around you for what it really is, it automatically is going to produce emotions in you that you don't want to feel. I've said this before, but every time that I think about ISIS, I just kind of think, like, it just, I don't want to think about ISIS. I don't want to look at world news because there's so many terrible things going on in the world. But the reality is that life is tremendously sad. There's so many things going on. And our distractions take us away from that, and they numb us from that reality. But what the Word of Christ is offering you is the ability to look at life in the face and say, I can take it because I'm looking at something far greater. I'm looking at a glory that's, that's far greater than all of the sadness within life. So um, let's flip the script, and we're going to look at the Swiss Alps. That's the second one. So the Swiss Alps, the glory of God, what we encounter in the glory of God, I'm going to say um, two things. One is, you will see Jesus on every single page of the Bible. Jesus is revealed. That is the glory of God. What Lucas was talking about on Monday night, you experience the other, this person who is so different from you and yet still feels familiar because you were created in their image, but they're powerful and um, yet gracious and yet will by no means clear the guilty and yet are loving and live in delight and do whatever they please. That's who you see. You see Jesus in the Bible, and that's, that's who you will see, and um, he's, he's worth being captivated by. And so the second thing that happens is um, you take off the mask. And what I mean by that is this. As you read the Bible, and you become transformed by it and informed by it and begin submitting yourself to it, you begin staking your life on the book, what happens is you don't feel the need to prove yourself to anybody else. You don't feel the need to um, uh, look at distractions constantly to just try and fill yourself because who you see is, is God in the Bible. And when you become captivated by God, all of these other things just wash away. They're small, so small in comparison with who God is. Your capacity for being captivated by God's glory is great. You were created for that. That was your express purpose, was to glorify God by being captivated by his glory. And again, the way in which we do that primarily is through the Bible. You see the Bible, and that shows us the glory of God. You were made for mountains, not mirrors. You weren't made for mirrors. You weren't made to constantly be looking inward and wondering how you're doing and what other people think of you and 
if you're going to make it and if you have what it takes to succeed in life. You're created to look at mountains and creation and God and be completely captivated by him. And we see that in the Bible. So, the last thing, the window. God wrote a book. So, we come back to that. So you're standing at the window with a choice. You're looking out at the Alps, and what you could do is you could open your phone. Let's just say that we're there. You can open up your phone, and you could try and snap a picture of the Swiss Alps so you, you know, so you could show your friends what, what you're looking at. Or you could just be present in the moment and experience it. And that's what God is offering us through the window. He's saying, just look in this book and you will see who I am. That's what God is offering. So you have a choice every single day. You could, in the beginning of the day, wake up and instantly open Instagram or ESPN or whatever it is for you. Or you could open the Bible. And it's tough sledding because you've wired your brain to look at your phone constantly. So it's not going to be easy. It's not going to feel good to start looking at the Bible. But that's your choice. So I want to give you four incentives, four things that the Bible is, and, um, and then we'll end after that. So um, the first thing is that it's not a mathematical equation, but it's a love letter. So some of you guys think of Christianity as a good moral ethic to live your life by, but the Bible is, you know, it's true, but, you know, it's not necessarily the thing that's controlling my life. And I think the reason you think that is because you think of it like a mathematical equation. Mathematical equations, you don't need to know in order for them to be true, right? The world is filled with mathematical equations that help the world to run, right? But you don't know all of them. We don't know all of the mathematical equations, right? But they're still true. This, in order for it to influence your life, you need to know it. And it's a personal love letter from God. Mathematical equations are impersonal. This is a personal love letter. God's saying, I wrote a book for you so that you could know me. Your person knowing my person, because I'm a person. That's, that's what God's saying. So it's not an equation, it's a love letter. Secondly, it is not a masterpiece, but a window. Here's what I mean by that. With a masterpiece, if you get into art, you will see that people have a lot of different opinions about masterpieces. And, you know, some people really like Beethoven's um, Ninth Symphony. Other people really like his Fifth. You know, I mean, you've, you've got so many opinions of, of why Beethoven's whatever symphony is, is his best symphony. But um, with a window, um, you're being held by a view. So with a masterpiece, you hold a view of that masterpiece. You yourself are still in control and saying, this is what I think about this book. But by a window, you are being held by the view. You look at it and you're just captivated by it. It's holding you in place, right? And that's what Piper was saying in the beginning. He's saying, I wasn't scared that someone was going to critique it and all of a sudden I'm going to realize that it's not true so I have to really try and defend it. What he's saying is, I'm just looking at the book and I'm captivated by who's on the other side. So the third one is, it's not for comprehension, but for captivation. And this is really easy, especially if you come from a Christian school, to think the whole point uh, is that I know more. So if I know more, then I'm going to know God more. But that's not necessarily true. 
If the Bible were for comprehension, then it would just be about quantity, how much you know. But every single little thing that you know in the Bible should lead to more awe, wonder, and delight in who God is. So when you wake up in the morning on Project, I hope that you learn a lot in Colossians. But I hope that what you learn doesn't just end with you understanding it, but that inside you're saying, I understand who God is more. I love God more because of what I'm learning here. Because God is a person. He's not an idea. And then fourth, this is the last one. Ari said this in her talk. It is magical. The Bible is literally magical. So, I... (laughs) I like thinking of the Bible as I open it up and I look at it and start reading it and it could, it could change me. Like Harry Potter casting a spell type change me just by looking at this book. The Bible says that. In Hebrews it says, the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce tomorrow, bone, and spirit. So it's saying it'll look at you and it's going to interrogate you when you look at the Bible. So you're going you're gonna to feel conviction. You're not going to feel good about yourself. Or you're going to experience God and see who he is and feel delight or terror because of who God is. But the Bible is going to interrogate you. Um, And uh, in another place in Jeremiah, it says that um, the word of God, no, in Isaiah, it says the word of God does not return void. So when you read the Bible, the Bible is going to interrogate you and either harden your heart to who God is or it's going to soften your heart to who God is just by reading this book. There's no other book in the world that does this like this because the Spirit of God is infused in this. This is magical right here. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, um, we with unveiled face, we look at the glory of the Lord and we're transformed into his likeness. So Jesus is on every page. And as you look at this Bible and you see Christ, and if you accept him, you will be transformed. This book is literally magical. That's not a joke. I'm, I'm not just using that as an analogy. I'm saying I actually think this book is magical. So um, those are the four points. Just uh, a couple of final thoughts. Just go to the, the note. Don't click it forward again. Um, let me just say this one more time. We use our phones and other distractions to numb us from the reality of life, because life is hard. To be established and experience life to the fullest, you must be present to the real world and experience all of the pains and joys of life together. You can't numb the pains. You have to experience it all together. The Bible awakens us to these realities and allows you to deal with even the toughest things that come at you in life. I'm going to share more about that in a couple weeks. But even the toughest things in life, the Bible is a firm foundation um, that you can rest on. Because in the Bible, we see the glory of God. I'll pray, and then um, we'll move on. Oh, actually, actually, no, before I pray, before I pray. Um, Why don't you guys write this down? What I want you to do is go to your book, um, to the calendar for the plan that we've got. And I want you to write this question on that page. Yep, yep, 
the calendar, sorry, the calendar for um, reading your Bible, 106. Thank you, appreciate that. So I want you to write this question down, and just as you think this summer, I want you to think about this question. How important is it, if you want to be established, how important is it to dwell, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly? All right, I'll pray for us, and then um, we'll move on. Father, I pray that we would love your word, because in your word we see you clearly. Lord, um, would you reveal yourself to us, and um, I pray that a mark of this summer when people walk away would be that they would stake their life on this book, um, because in it we see the glory of God. We see Jesus. We see Christ um, for all that he is, and so... Only you um, can do that, so I pray that you would do that. I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I'm going to give you guys a eight-minute break. It's 9.42 right now. We're going to go until 9.50, so take a break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to have a workshop time where we're going to talk about how to actually study the Bible. So just do you, whatever you got to do. Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church, Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach Minneapolis. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at clminneapolis.org.